what does organic mean to you? Ticking boxes on an assessment or an overall way of life? But it's sort of not using the sprays, manures going back onto the fields, and we're keeping everything as a sort of closed loop. Um, so the cows eat the grass, cows then make the mark, the mark goes back onto the fields and uh, looking after the soil and monitoring all that. I've been out to visit such a farm and very educational it was too. I've also been out on a Lincolnshire farm trying alternative crops, sunflowers and hemp the legal sort. The definition of industrial hemp is it's very low in a cannabinoid called THC, which is the psychoactive one, which makes you high. We'll hear more from Crop England's Michael Lammyman and Wickton Farm's Claire Howlett this morning, plus the council that's funding trees for farmers, a harvest update, the markets and the weather for the week to come. The Week in Agriculture. This is the Farming Programme with Steve Orchard. Good morning. How do you listen to The Farming Programme? Well, it's on Lynx FM, it's online, it's on the app and podcast, and now you can listen on your smart speaker. Just tell it to play The Farming Programme and the most recent episode will play. Now, if you abstract water from the environment, including boreholes, you could see changes to the cost under proposals being reviewed by the Environment Agency. The new charges will see farmers charged based on the volume of water taken and there will be a higher application fee. A new free service will help farmers get advice and support to prepare for the transition from BPS. It's provided by AHDB and it's designed for beef, sheep, dairy, cereals and oilseed producers. You need to register to benefit. Details on the AHDB website. The scheme runs until next February. And the harvest progresses, but rather stop-start for many. Lincolnshire farmer Andrew Ward, how's it going for you? Well, we're having a bit of a mixed bag at the moment. We didn't start our harvest until a week last Thursday because we don't grow winter barley and we're currently in year two of a three-year break from oilseed rape. So our first crop we got stuck into were spring oats. Now, we grow a variety which is called a naked oat. It doesn't have a husk on the outside. It has a lower yield potential uh, than standard oats and so it's a bit of a niche crop and its main uses are for animal food, very rarely human consumption. Grown after a cover crop, planted very early March and and looked exceedingly well all year and I was really pleased with these. Um, We've averaged out around 5.8, 5.9 tonnes per hectare which is really pleasing because we'll get a premium for those because of the crop uh, they are. We actually then got stuck into some winter wheats at the weekend. I've been actually disappointed with these over the course of the last few days. We have got in two varieties. We've got started on skyscraper, which for me last year has done exceedingly well. But I must admit, I'm really disappointed this year. We've had some second wheat skyscraper only do nine tonnes per hectare. We have also got stuck into some land that we took on this year as a new contract farm. Been long-term grass. and We put skyscraper in there and that only did just over eight tonnes a hectare. So really disappointing. And we have got into another variety called Shabras, which again is a feed wheat. And that's done 10.7 tonnes per hectare, which is a bit more like it. But to be honest, how we grow crops today and the varieties we have access to, I don't really think we should be expecting anything less than nine and a half tonnes per hectare now. I appreciate soil type um, and weather will have an an impact. And and I think while we mention the weather, I really think that is what is affecting these yields. We had the very, very dry, cold April 
and we've had limited sunshine and and warmth in June and July and I think that really is affecting it so all in all um, we'll crack on this next week but the weather we're having at the moment is not conducive to helping us um, but we have still got a lot of harvest to go. Thanks for the update, Andrew. Sean Sparling will be back from his holidays with some timely agronomy advice for us next week. Now, do you need trees on your farm? Gaps to fill? Ash dieback? If you're in Lincolnshire, the council may be able to help. Let's find out more from Lincolnshire County Council's Dan Clayton. Dan, good morning. Welcome to the Farming Programme. I gather you're bidding for government funding for trees. What's this all about? Yeah, that's right. So um, the council's got a target to plant 750,000 trees, which is a tree for every resident around the county over the next few years. And as part of that, we've been looking at ways that we can fund this. And there's a couple of government support schemes come up, one through the Forestry Commission, which is the local authorities' treescapes fund. And we've submitted a bid to that. And it's to fund trees in non-woodland settings so it's for things like hedgerow trees roadside trees shelter belts all those sort of things one of the reasons why we're looking at this is that um ash trees are the most common tree around lincolnshire when our tree officers have been out and done surveys they make up at least 20 percent of the roadside trees and because of the ash dieback disease we're expecting to lose the vast majority of those trees over the next 10 years that it's already spreading significantly around the county. So this funding will potentially give us an opportunity to replace some of those trees. We're also working with the Woodland Trust, who are kind of based in Grantham, so we thought it would be good to work with them anyway. And they've got some um, specialised tree packs for farmers, which um, we're hoping to to hand out in the, the kind of planting season from November to March. So it's typically 45 trees, 15 of each different species and they can be used to plug gaps in hedges or you know plant around field boundaries all those sort of things and um, the other the other thing that we're we're focusing on is making sure that it's the right tree in the right place so we don't want to be planting trees um, kind of willy-nilly around the around the county and on particularly on areas of peatland and and places like that so we're, we're very much looking for getting the right tree in the right spot so uh, assuming you get this funding what do you want farmers to do if they can get in touch with us on sustainability at lincolnshire.gov.uk if they send their details um, to that location we can we can then you know liaise with them and and look at the site and extra information that that might be required so so we can do that um it's also gone out on the uh, County Council's Facebook page as well. So we, we've had a couple of uh, requests through already for, for tree packs from farmers around the county. OK, are applications actually open now then or are you waiting yeah. till you've got the funding? Yeah, no, if, if people get in touch now and then we can be ready and look at the number of trees that we've got and then we expect that there'll be future rounds of this funding stream in the future. So if farmers submit applications and we can't cover them in this round, we're hoping that next year's round we'll be able to pick them up in that as well excellent all right dan thank you very much indeed for that thanks for joining us on the farming program this morning thank you organic farming can mean many things i visited a dairy farm in herefordshire recently to have a look and asked what it means to wickton farm owner claire howlett who you may remember we spoke to recently as they trial plastic free baling claire your farm converted to organic back in the 90s why 
One of the driving reasons I think at the time was we were a small farm, you know, we weren't expanding, we weren't getting bigger. So we wanted to go niche, we wanted a, a more natural approach and the milk price was higher for organic farms. Um, so at that time, it was an incentive financially as well. But we found even though the milk price now is, is quite stagnant, it's not going up and obviously the price of feed is going up. So organics is not necessarily, there's a financial incentive, um, but we wouldn't, we wouldn't reverse the decision. We found actually that even if the milk price was the same as conventional, we would still stay organic. To be organic costs you more money. You've got to try and sell your product for more money. Is it viable? Does it work from a financial point of view? Yes, it does. But I think with any farm, you've got to keep thinking outside the box. You have to keep thinking about new ideas and pushing yourself forward. Um, so I think that's, that's the same for conventional or organic. You've, you've got to think of it as a business and, um, and think of those new ideas. So it's not just about saying, oh, we've gone organic now, so we can just sit back and relax and make lots of money. Even though the cost of feed and everything's higher, you do have sort of savings in other areas. You know, we're not putting all the fertilizer on, not all the sprays. And uh, so there's, there's savings in other areas and it's just balancing those. Organic can mean different things to different people. In a practical sense, what does organic mean at Wickton Farm? Working with nature as much as possible. Um, we get inspected by organic farmers and growers every year. So we've got so sort of a list of things that we criteria we need to meet. Um, and again, we try and go above and beyond that at every time to push ourselves. But it's sort of not using the sprays, manures going back onto the fields. And we're keeping everything as a sort of closed loop. Um, so the cows eat the grass cows then make the muck, the muck goes back onto the fields and uh, looking after the soil and monitoring all that. And I have to say, you've got probably the most luxurious cow shed I think I've ever seen. Yes, um, so we put the new shed up in 2012. Um, again, that was sort of putting the cows first and trying to create an environment where it's preventative rather than cure. Um, so we put sort of the, the health and happiness as such of the cows first and making sure that they have an environment that's completely stress-free as possible. And that has knock-on effects because we then are able to uh, make sure that they, they don't have the problems health-wise that potentially could come if they were in a very cramped, dark um, space. And they're lying out when they're in the shed on sand rather than mattresses. Yes. So previously, and um, you know, when my dad first started the farm, we were on deep breaded straw and we found we had quite a lot of issues with mastitis. Um, so when we put the new building in, after a lot of research, we decided to go to deep bedded sand beds. Um, sand doesn't hold any of the bacteria. It's a very clean material. So our mastitis levels dropped um, considerably. So that was a really positive move. And how much are the cows outside? Try and get them out as much as possible. Um, but obviously we work with the weather and also we work with the, with the cows as well. So, you know, just recently um, we've had them out in the fields, but we've had some very hot weather. So if we're seeing the cows are feeling uncomfortable in any fields or they have limited shade, we'll bring them back into the shed for a couple of hours. But most of the time they come into the building about October time, as soon as it starts to get wet. And then we'll keep them there until February. Um, again, once the grass starts growing. But we, we put the grass first and we put the soil first. So we won't put the cows out into the fields until we've sort of got the length of grass that we want and that it's, it's right for the cows to go out there. An organic, the wrong word really, but it's, it's an overall sort of philosophy really for you, isn't it, in terms of not just organic farming, but plastic-free, 
recycling, regenerative and so on. That, that's been your, your driving philosophy, really, isn't it? Absolutely. So we're trying to sort of create a holistic, regenerative and mindful management for the farm. And that's in all areas, both our personal lives and on the farm itself. So really trying to look at everything as a whole. It's all got to work together and sort of fit together as a jigsaw puzzle. You can't focus on one area because otherwise another area will maybe be weakened or, or a problem will occur there. So it's constantly evaluating and looking at it as a whole. And again, that's what I was saying. I mean, we have, um, we spend a lot of time having business meetings and um, between my brother and myself, who I farm with, to just really hash out different problems, different scenarios, different solutions so that we can keep on top of everything rather than just focusing on the cows, for example, and forgetting about everything else. And you've got some students around at yeah. the moment. Why are they here? Um, we're really hoping, well, this summer we're really promoting uh, woofing students being here and um, we are hoping... Sorry, to- woofing students? Yeah, it's uh, work overseas on organic farms worldwide, I think. For them, we're hoping to create a platform and we're hoping the farm can be sort of a platform for learning and education. Um, But a really positive thing is, is we're learning from them as well. So different people coming onto the farm allow us to sort of exchange ideas, um, have debates about different things. And Woofing students come from overseas as well. So it's been um, sort of interesting to have a completely sort of international view here on the farm. I mean, farming itself is a fairly insular profession. This exchange of views both directions must help both of you. Absolutely. And um, and I think farms can all benefit from that. But it is taking that first step and it is thinking outside the box and it is saying, right, we're going to try and make that effort and move forward in in opening the doors. Otherwise, it it is, as you said, Steve, very easy for us to just stay here, milk the cows every day and um, and not see anyone. So you have to make an effort. It doesn't necessarily come to you. You've got to to go out there and and find find that exchange and find that opportunity. Okay. so what's next for Wickton Farm? We try and challenge ourselves every day, every year. Um, So it's just constantly pushing forward. We're trying to go plastic free. You talked about previously on one of your shows about our plastic free hay bales. So that's been really successful at the moment. We've started using them for some of the cows and it's it's been really good. So so hopefully every decision will just be that little step further to, to making a difference. Claire Howlett from Wickton Farm in Bromyard. It's been fascinating to have a look around the farm. It's great to hear what you're, what you're doing and what your thoughts are. Thank you very much for joining us on the farming programme this morning. Thank you very much, Steve. Pleasure to talk to you. I guess every farmer regularly considers alternative crops. It makes sense to try different things, especially in today's difficult economy. But have you tried hemp? How easy is it to grow and harvest? Can you make a viable product from it? Crop England is based near Grantham, and I met up with Michael Lammiman the other day. Michael, describe what we've got here. Steve, you're really surrounded by about 50 acres of hemp, and this is a crop where you need a licence from the Home Office to grow. Uh, It is industrial hemp. People can mistake it for cannabis, but in fact, the definition of industrial hemp is it's very low in the cannabinoid called THC, which is the psychoactive one, which makes you high. We harvest it much like any other combinable crop. We use a stripper header, actually, in our case, because we don't want to pull in the really strong fibre through the combine because we'll end up blocking it up. So we use a stripper header, we take it back, and then we dry it from what is quite a wet moisture content, as much as 30%, and we take it down to about 8%. And then we can clean it up through one of the machines we've got on the farm, and then we cold-press it to make hemp seed oil. No, we've got quite a few weeds in amongst the crop here. That's presumably because you're not treating it with anything, you're growing it organically. Does that cause a problem when it comes to harvest? Uh, No, it's fine. uh, The combine process and what we do in the sheds clean up the sample very effectively. And so, you know, from our customers' point of view, they're very 
happy that, of course, crop is growing without any chemical intervention at all. And we provide toxicity tests to back that up as well. And that's the whole thing about, you know, our business is that um, it's a very safe product to consume. Just take a step back then. We've talked about harvest. I should have asked you before that. How easy is it to grow? It's actually relatively easy to grow. You you plant it in the middle of May. Um, we have the benefit of uh, being able to put water on our land here. So if it is dry at that period, we can actually get the crop growing and it virtually leaps out of the ground at quick pace. We harvest it at the end of August. And by that stage, as you can see, we're getting up to six foot tall. So it's a really good quick grower. And from a soil point of view, how beneficial is, is hemp to the soil? It's massively beneficial uh, to, the, to the soil health, and we're very focused on soil health on this farm. Uh, for a start, it's a brilliant carbon capture, so it will take as, many, as much as 15 tonnes of carbon per hectare out of the atmosphere. And what people don't necessarily appreciate is that actually carbon is a brilliant nutrient to have in the soil. It's great for soil structure, it feeds all the other microbiomes down there, and it will help the soil retain moisture much better for the next crop. It generates also a massive uh, root mass as well, so fantastic for all the microbiomes down there. Let's move on to CBD. Uh, it's a product that's probably not understood an awful lot. Uh, say there is the confusion over, is it legal, is it addictive, am I going to try this stuff and then I'm going to come out floating on a cloud. What's it actually intended to do, CBD oil? What are the benefits of it? From an advertising perspective, it's classified as a novel food and we're prohibited from making medical claims. But our website does point people to lots of uh, research out there. So I can tell you that uh, we all have an endocannabinoid system. Uh, you know, Anything with a heartbeat has an endocannabinoid system. And what the cannabinoids do in the hemp plant is it stimulates your endocannabinoid system, which also has a major impact on the proper functioning of your major organs and also your immune system as well. And so in theory, it gives you a very good sort of wellness type of reaction to it. We have a good number of customers that have particular medical complaints and they find that taking CBD oil can alleviate a lot of the symptoms. So we've moved from the the field to the hemp shed now. We're indoors with a rather complicated looking piece of equipment. Michael, what does this all do? So once we've dried it down from about 30% moisture down to eight, there's still quite a lot of green matter and so forth that's in with the seed. And so once it's dry, we can put it through this bit of equipment here, which is quite, you know, it's really substituting what a combine does on drier products. And so at the end of it, you get a very clean hemp seed sample. Okay, so you've got the seeds then. Then what? We turn that into oil? Yeah, so in our case, we have a cold pressing machine uh, here in this hemp shed. And so we cold press our own hemp seed oil, and that provides the base for our CBD oil. These look more like tea bags to me. Yeah, so within our range, we're also uh, providing or supplying a range of hemp-based teas. And so we've got hemp on its own, then hemp and chamomile and hemp and mint. It's such a lovely product uh, that actually it's selling extremely well. Now we've got an awful lot of fairly complicated, to me anyway, looking machinery here. And I would imagine fairly costly machinery. You've got a lot of processes, a lot of equipment to turn that into something sellable. Is it viable? I think the answer to that is that time will tell. Uh, we're very much at the beginning of our journey. But, you know, my anxiety really as a farmer is trying to create some real value in what we're doing. And, of course, with general wholesale agricultural commodities like wheat and barley, it's quite difficult to do that. And so this gives us the opportunity of creating our own branded product where we can add value to our agricultural commodity, in this case hemp. That's the way of the future now for us. All right, Michael. Michael Lambyman from Crop England. Thanks ever so much for joining us on the Farming Programme. That's my pleasure.
Nice to meet you. More now from my recent chat with Caroline Drummond, MBE, Chief Exec of Leaf. We had part one on last week's farming programme. Caroline, can we talk a little bit about Leaf Mark? What is it and what does it mean to the public? So it's an environmental sustainability label. Um, if you go into Waitrose, you'll see on all their fresh produce, it is Leaf Mark certified. It's an attribute for Marks and Spencers and, and many other retailers are now sort of really looking to include leaf markers as part of their portfolio because it demonstrates what farmers are delivering for improved biodiversity and environment. So that will be against improved um, nature, looking at creating habitats. It will be looking at improved soil management, enhanced water quality, attention to detail right across their farm practices. And the great, it builds on Red Tractor or it is a global standard, so builds on global gap in other countries as a core health and safety aspect. But what we do is that that area of the added value. And the brilliant thing is that um, in some sectors, say, for example, broccoli and leeks and asparagus, some 98 percent of that will be Leafmark certified. So it's kind of almost sustainability by stealth. So you go and you buy those products and you will be actually you can be reassured that the farmer is really really challenging their farming systems to ensure that they're fit for purpose going forward. And we must talk about Open Farm Sunday. It's been a bit cut down this year, inevitably, but still very successful. It offers a real opportunity for both public and farming to engage and maybe understand each other a little better. It does. And it's it's just a delight to see the sheer joy of people going out on farm. Um, you know, the only tears you really hear about from little kids saying, I don't want to go home, you know, and I want to be a farmer. Um, but it's 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 great for farmers because it gives them a lovely opportunity to be thanked for all the great things they're doing. Um, it really demonstrates the the sort of respect actually that people start having in farmers for the the range of skills, you know, that that huge variety of capability of of our juggling farmers um and then of course it's that joy of discovery and um you know we have we have a saying within leaf you know the more senses that you can touch the more you will embed memories and values and knowledge and open farm sunday it touches every five senses that we have and so that's you know that's fantastic and as an organisation, we merged with Farming Countryside Education to form Leaf Education some five years ago. And beyond Open Farm Sunday, as you say, you know, we were doing the, the we've done the live event this year with ticketed events that were really successful. I've just been talking to a farmer this morning who had a, a wonderful event um, right through to the online events. But we're now matching up farmers with schools so we have, with farmer time so we're we're working with village farm and tom martin on uh some i think we've now got over 750 farms matched up with schools and that's starting now to be international as well um we have regional education consultants bringing resources and training and building confidence of teachers to understand actually what farming adds to every subject in the curriculum um, because it's such an embracing and cool area, really. Um, and it's so important, isn't it, to educate both ways, really, here, for, for mm-hmm. both sides of the argument for farmers and farms and non-farming community to understand each other. 
Very much so, yes. And and we do have some training programmes as well for farmers so that it isn't about, right, I'm going to tell you all about farming. It's actually for teachers, it's it's ensuring that it is relevant to the curriculum because, you know, teachers are highly professional, obviously, as farmers are as well. And they are very time poor. And actually, the, the capability to deliver a curriculum that is fit for purpose, is going to be imaginative, is going to tick all the boxes for the government is something that's really important. So we put a lot of time into supporting farmers to ensure that the curriculum focus is something that's centre to what they do as well. And finally, Caroline, tell us about demonstration farms. What are they? In order for us to really engage with farmers, to spread the word of sustainable agriculture, Peer-to-peer learning is something that's very, very important, particularly in in farming. You can see it, you can look, you can understand whether the soil is the same soil type or the cropping systems are the same or the machinery is the same. So we have a network of demonstration farms right across the country where farmers can go and see and understand and discuss and adapt and experiment about what they could do on their farms and, and that sharing knowledge is something that's so important. And our Leaf Innovation Network uh, is where we work with a lot of the research institutes, where they are actually doing deeper experimentation into some of the areas that are either not quite fit for purpose for going on farm yet, but actually could be a real driving force. And that then allows farmers to think, well, actually, I could put you know a small corner in a field here of just seeing what I've what I've just seen on this research institute um, and wonder whether it might might work in my situation. So that dialogue has been hugely powerful. And because we're celebrating 30 years this year, we've got a new strategy for 10 years um, so that you know by 2031, we have delivered the Sustainable Development Goals and the Paris Accord and whatever comes out of COP15 and COP26. But what we're trying to do now is actually also build in some beacon farms where we will put a bit of a spotlight on to particular areas. So that may be regenerative agriculture or it may be in the area of, um, in fact, we've got some demonstration schools. Uh, it will be in things like zero plastic waste, net carbon zero, biodiversity enhancements, so that there's a bit of a deeper dive as well. So really peer-to-peer learning is is exciting invigorating and very powerful so our demonstration farmer networks are brilliant farmers in that area caroline it's been fascinating talking to you and hearing more about leaf than just open farm sunday and the brilliant work that you do thanks for joining us on the farming program today thank you so much steve time to see how the markets have behaved this week with open fields kit dickinson morning kit good morning steve the USDA parted from their norm in last week's report, which stunned the trade and sent prices skywards. Their usual ploy of drip feeding changes into the global balance sheets, thus diluting the impact, was thrown out the window. They totally wrong-footed the trade, who expected a more conservative approach. The two major surprises were the Russian wheat production forecast and the US maize yield. Not only did they lower the Russian crop, they took an axe to it, dropping it by 12.5 million metric tonnes, which was even below the lowest trade estimates. In what some see as a reprisal, the Russian ministry have stopped reporting their harvest data as their domestic prices soar. The talk of further restrictions on top of the punitive export taxes. 
So much for market transparency. The other shocker was the reduction in the US maize yield, which knocked 11 million metric tonnes off the production, when the trade had expected only a small reduction at best. The debate over whether the crops in the wetter, cooler eastern US states will compensate for the drought in the affected west rumbles on, although this week's crop tour would tend to argue in favour of the USDA's yield reduction. Global milling wheat is in short supply, with the USDA vastly overestimating the EU and Russian export potential. There is more feed wheat available, which will need to compete with world maize. The maize story is not fully factored in until the US yield and Brazilian final crop estimate reports have come in, and the Chinese demand questions have been answered. Talk will now turn to the demand rationing, destruction, COVID variants and the US federal government tapering, which will provide headwinds for the grain market and the fundamentals will remain positive. So looking at barley this week, it has been stop-start harvest and it continues in the south ahead of the rest of the country. Samples coming through see quality holding up and yields reported as positive. One or two more offers are coming forward as product quality are known and in the shed in some cases. Domestic consumers have been back in the market for some spot and pre-Christmas cover, which market values have been supported by an active free on board market, which has been covered on the near continent. These inquiries have been driven by mixed quality seen in France and Germany, although with a lower than expected yield on early cut barleys in Denmark. All eyes will be on sample results here post the recent break for the rain to ensure that quality remains intact. Oilseed rate markets have seen further gains this week on the back of a number of global factors. The main focus has been the continuing downgrade of Canadian canola crop, which still sees a wide range of estimates, but with a lower ending ideas will comfortably be under the 15 million tonne mark. On top of this, China has made a comeback of sorts to the export markets with a consistent volume being brought across consecutive sessions over the week with both direct sales to unknown destinations being reported. China's pig herd is now reportedly back up towards the pre-pandemic levels of 440 million head, and it is no surprise that the purchases have picked up on the back of this. These positive stories have overshadowed the idea that the lower expected US soybean crush numbers will lead to a higher forecast stock levels. Closer to home, the UK sees harvest continue in many parts of the country, with very few areas seemingly getting complete. Domestic consumers have been keen to follow Matif futures and seen a near 20 euro gain over the week. However, there has been somewhat of a reversal during Thursday's trade on the back of falling oil values. So moving forward to prices this week, feed wheat for August 178 to 180, November 185 to 187, February 187 to 190, May 191 to 194. Milling wheat premiums are circa 20 to 22 pounds. Feed barley for August is 164 to 167, November 167 to 170, February 171 to 173, and May 173 to 175. Malting barley premiums for a 185 nitrogen are currently 28 to 32 pounds. Oil seed rate for August is 463 to 466, November 470 to 475, February 475 to 480 and May 480 to 485. Many thanks as ever, Kit Dickinson from Open Field. The Farming Programme, five-day forecast. Well, after a bit of rain hanging around today, it's a mostly dry, sunny, mild week, but quite high pressure, certainly for the middle of the week. Light winds mostly northerly today, bringing some rain through the middle of the day. Cloud clearing later, though, and some sunny spells expected this evening. Temperatures just about hitting 20 Celsius. A clear night and sunny start to the week. Again, a light northerly, dry with a high of 21. Much the same, bit more cloud through the middle of the week and staying dry. Little cooler to end the week as the wind moves around to the east on Friday and we may see some light rain overnight. 
Next week on the Farming Programme, we'll look ahead to Love Lamb Week, hear about a new flood prevention project, talk climate change and the after-effects of a pea crop on soil and water. I'm Steve Orchard. Until then, hope it's a good harvesting week. I'm hoping to have a go at driving a combine for the first time. What could possibly go wrong? Have a good week.